Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hey everyone, this is Michael Turtlelot, and it's super great to be sharing with you again here on Pickled Parables. And today I'd like to talk about a passage of scripture I don't think gets enough attention. But first, have you ever heard someone say that they really like Jesus, but they're really not on board with the God of the Old Testament? It's a pretty common sentiment, and honestly an understandable one. Like, how do you reconcile God telling Israel to kill a guy who picked up sticks on the Sabbath, and yes, that really happened, with Jesus, who likened God's forgiveness to the cancellation of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of debt? How can the same God be represented in both those stories? Well... The passage I want to explore today has something to say about this, but before I get to the passage, let me lay some groundwork. I love the Bible Project. If you've never checked them out, you should. If you have checked them out and watched much of their content, you've probably heard them say something to the effect of, here at the Bible Project, we believe the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. And I could not agree more with this statement. Of course, it helps that Jesus seems to have thought this about himself. You see, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, there's a story about two of Jesus' followers walking to a village called Emmaus. They're walking along when, all of a sudden, this other guy, going the same direction, joins them. And he asks, what are you guys talking about while you're walking? Unbeknownst to them, this guy is Jesus, but they're kept from recognizing him until the end of the story. So, not knowing who they're talking to, they go on to tell him they'd been talking about, well, him. And all that had happened concerning his death. Their crushed hopes because they thought he was the Messiah. And the rumors they'd heard from some women that he'd actually risen from the dead. And they say all this with sadness because... They don't really know what to make of it all. But they're under the impression that the Jesus movement has ended. And to this, Jesus says, Come on, guys. Don't you know the Christ had to suffer before rising to power? And then right after Jesus says this, he goes on to explain what he means. And Luke 24, 27 describes how he goes about that explanation, saying... And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what this verse says is that Jesus was able to walk through the whole Old Testament and tell these guys how it all pointed to him. In other words, he showed them that the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. And this idea that the Bible is a single narrative, 
is foundational to a branch of theology referred to as biblical theology. Now, in an informal sense, all Christian theology is, or at least should be, biblical. But in the formal sense, biblical theology is concerned with explaining the development of the unifying narrative of all of Scripture and tracing how individual themes develop within that narrative. This means sometimes biblical theology is restricted to a single theme or topic, tracing that topic's development throughout the Bible. Like with marriage, we can see God has this original plan at the beginning of Genesis, one man, one woman for all of life. But then he makes sort of allowances for deviations from that original plan in the Old Testament, right? Like one man with lots of women, and sometimes just for however long it's convenient for him. And then we come back to the original plan, and it's reasserted again in the New Testament. And ultimately, we see that marriage all along was this picture of Christ and his bride, the church. So that's sort of what like a biblical theology of marriage would be, although obviously not a very thorough one. But hopefully you get the idea. Biblical theology in the more general sense, or like the capital B, capital T, biblical theology is trying to answer the question, what is the main unifying theme or narrative of scripture? Now, it may seem like the simple answer to that question is just Jesus, but it's more complicated than it seems in part because, well, Jesus isn't in most of the Bible. Of course, he plays a central role in Scripture, and like the Bible Project says, the rest of Scripture may point to him, but to just say it's all about Jesus is a bit overly simplistic. There's been many other proposed unifying themes within biblical theology. Some have tried to organize the story of the Bible under the theme of kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom of heaven in the church age, and the kingdom of God fully realized in the age to come. Others have proposed themes of covenant, or redemption, or God's glory. I think it was Philip Yancey who proposed the summary of the Bible's story could be, God gets his family back. The options are really endless, and there's probably not a single answer to the question, especially since many of these proposed themes are getting at the same message, just sort of from different angles. But hopefully that gives you an idea of what biblical theology is about, what it's trying to do. The reason I bring all this up is simply to point out that there is a unity to the Bible and themes that span the breadth of Scripture that inform how we understand the overarching story and the various twists and turns that story takes. And it's a common storytelling device to put what we call a key toward the beginning, in, in the story, toward the beginning of the story. 
And like a key for a door, a key for a story unlocks the story and allows you to understand the point it's trying to make. Often it takes the form of key words or themes, like those of life and light in the Gospel of John. Which brings me to Exodus 34, 6-7, which I think is an important key to understanding the story of Scripture. Let me start by reading it for us, and then I'll explain. Exodus 34, 6-7, The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so a little background. Moses here is meeting with God on Mount Sinai. He's received the first copy of the Ten Commandments, and then he shatters them when he finds Israel worshiping the golden calf idol when he comes down the mountain. And then he has this conversation with God about how hard it's going to be for Moses to lead such a stubborn nation as Israel. And so he asks God to reveal himself to Moses so that Moses would know how to lead Israel in God's ways. Basically, he wants to know what God is like So he can be like God in leading Israel to be like God. And so God agrees and he says he'll give Moses a glimpse of his glory. And that's what we have here. Basically, what I just read is God's self-description that he gives to Moses as he passes him in his glory. And Did you happen to catch the tension in that description? It's really captured in the contrasting phrases found in the line that describes God as, quote, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Now, question, how in the world can God be true to both of those things at once? I mean, forgiving sin and clearing the guilty and not clearing the guilty are pretty much exact opposites, right? And to complicate things further, this is God's character that we're talking about. What I mean is you might be tempted to think, well, what's, what's the problem here? God can just forgive sometimes and hold people accountable at other times. And sure, he can figure out you know, which to do when. After all, sometimes we let people off the hook when they do something wrong, and sometimes we make them accept the consequences of their decisions, and we sort of just do the best we can with each given circumstance. Might not be perfect, but good enough, right? Well, the problem with that is that God's not like us in this way. You see, 
to ask God to not forgive an impulse that is innate to his divine character is like asking gravity to stop pulling you down toward the ground. At the same time, to ask him to clear guilt is like asking light to not be shiny. See, in us humans, sometimes we're true to our character, and sometimes we're not. We're fickle like that. God is never and can never be untrue to his character. Something that gets repeated of God throughout the Bible is that he is one. That he is one. And part of what that means is that God is perfectly united. And so even to speak of God as being loving or being just is can be a little bit misleading. Now, we have to talk that way for us to understand anything about God, but we also need to understand that God simply is God. And everything he does is consistent with all of who he is. And so when he is loving to our eyes, he's also being just at the same time. And when he is just, he's also being perfectly loving at the same time because God is just being God. And trueness to his character. Which is why God is never and can never be untrue to his character because he's just being himself. And this is problematic when there seems to our eyes to be two opposing impulses in God's character, particularly when it comes to responding to sin. In the unchanging, perfectly consistent character of God, every impulse is a need. God must be God. And God is a God of grace and justice. He must be true to both of those characteristics. And this seeming tension in the depths of God's character motivates a lot of the Bible's story. It's behind the sacrificial system of Israel, which was meant to make a way for God to deal with sin and yet forgive and be in some kind of relationship with Israel, who was sinners. I've been reading through Isaiah recently, and this tension is on full display. One moment, God promises severe judgment or punishment for Israel's sinful unfaithfulness to their covenant. And the next, he's talking about how he's going to restore Israel. and He's going to woo them back into covenant faithfulness. He pronounces woes on the nations of the world, only to turn around and weave in promises that those same nations will one day worship him. Throughout the Old Testament, God struggles to reconcile his need to forgive with his need to justly deal with sin. In the Old Testament story, all attempts fail, not because of anything God does, but because of us. And that struggle 
to reconcile his forgiveness with his justice and the promises of coming salvation that accompany that struggle are what set the stage for the answer to this divine paradox, the paradox of how can God be true to both his grace and his justice. Enter Jesus. In Jesus, most climactically, in his death on the cross, God is able to both punish and forgive sin at the same time. God becomes a man. He comes as a man so that he can be a representative for sinners in a way that rams, lambs, and bulls never could be. You see, as a man, he could take the punishment for mankind, truly satisfying God's justice. And as a man, he could fulfill the righteousness of God that God required of his image bearers and then give it to any who would receive it from him, thereby truly opening the floodgates of God's grace. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for our sake, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so this is where that divide between Jesus and the Old Testament God comes from. Because God has to deal with sin, and we see a lot of that in the Old Testament. But he also has to be gracious and forgiving and full of steadfast love and faithfulness, which is ultimately what leads to Jesus, who is that same God who also has to deal with sin. And so, to reconcile that tension in himself, God comes in our place to satisfy both his justice and his grace. And so it is that Romans 3.26 says that God showed his glorious righteousness by being, quote, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but by no means clearing the guilty. A God of grace and justice. All glory to his name. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.